0: Please uh, turn with me in your copy of God's Holy Word to Psalm 115. This evening we will spend some time looking at this wonderful psalm, uh, this psalm of praise to our God. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Holy Word from Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth He has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Our great God, may you be glorified. May your name be praised through the preaching of your word this evening. Oh Lord, may you bless your word to us. May you bless us by the reading and preaching of your word. May we better understand this psalm, what it means to glorify the name of God. We pray, O God, that we would worship Christ, our Savior, and bring glory to Him alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Humans are made to worship. Our chief end, the Westminster Divines tell us, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever but sin distorts and ruins everything. And so this worship impulse that's been hardwired into our DNA is distorted and ruined. And so instead of seeking to glorify God, mankind often worships anything and everything except God. In our age of immediate access to people from all over the world through social media, anyone with a cell phone camera and an and an internet connection can become a viral sensation. This immediate access to everyone around us has led many people to seek fame and glory for themselves, to draw the attention of others onto themselves by any means possible so that others will know who they are, will know how special they are, and will be impressed by them. These idols of worldly fame and success, though, are fleeting, aren't they? How many times have we forgotten all about those viral sensations because some other person's video comes along the very next day and grabs our attention? Our society's obsession with the newest and the latest, with the next big thing, shows that instead of seeking to glorify God, sinful humans seek glory for themselves or seek to give glory to created things and to thereby rob God of what is rightfully His alone. Psalm Psalm 115, then, though, uh, boldly proclaims the exact opposite of what our culture tries to proclaim. The psalmist says, not to us, not to us. Glory and majesty and dominion and authority belong not to mankind, but to God alone. And here, in this psalm, we're presented with a dilemma. This psalm calls you and me to reflect upon our own hearts and to ask ourselves the question, who will I worship? To whom will I give glory? The answer, of course, the answer that the psalmist proclaims, the answer that we see all throughout Scripture is that we must give glory to God alone. Seeking glory for ourselves or giving glory to false idols will only Bring judgment and condemnation and death. In Psalm 115, this wonderful psalm of praise to our God, you and I see first that God's glory must not be given to men. And we'll see uh, second that God's glory must not be given to idols. And then third and finally we'll see that God's glory properly given brings bountiful blessing. So first, God's glory must not be given to men. The psalmist begins this psalm with a rally, a rally cry, not to us. Proper worship must not. It cannot be given to anyone other than the Lord God who made heaven and earth. Our praise and glory and adoration must be given to him alone. Not to us, O Lord, he says, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. When the British Parliament passed the bill to abolish the slave trade, William Wilberforce returned to his home to meditate upon Scripture. Many of you may know that name. William Wilberforce was a Christian politician who worked tirelessly for decades to convince the men in Parliament to end slavery in England and its colonies once and for all. Wilberforce, more than any other person, was responsible for raising awareness of the heinous nature of slavery and sought to completely eliminate it in England. After the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833 passed, Wilberforce, who by that time was retired, was infirm, and was near the end of his life, returned to his home upon hearing this news, and he meditated on Psalm 115, verse 1. He knew that although he fought hard for most of his life to abolish slavery, the glory of the passage of this bill was not due to him. It was not his to enjoy. the glory was to be given to God alone. It can become so easy for you and I to forget the promises of God, to carry on in our lives without giving regard to God. Too often, you and I can't see further than the reach of our own arms, and we can fall into the trap of thinking that glory somehow belongs to us. And that God's only job is to give us all that we need, to provide for us. But Psalm 115 uh, graciously breaks us out of our delusions of self-importance and reorients our hearts and our minds. The whole world around us is screaming, look at me. Everyone around us is saying, to us, to us belongs all the glory. But dear friends, may it never be. God alone is worthy of your glory. And you must seek to glorify God in all things. To say, not to us, not to us, but to him alone. To the name of God alone be all glory and praise. We don't know precisely the situation out of which the psalmist wrote this prayer. We're not even told who wrote this psalm. But verse 2 in particular gives some clues about what may be in the background of it. Verse 2 reads, Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Enemies of God's people have likely mockingly abused them, and yet God's people do not despair. Notice, too, in this, uh, when, when he repeats back the the mocking uh, The mocking of these enemies, the psalmist doesn't then turn and ask God for personal help or for deliverance from his enemies. Instead, he boldly and faithfully proclaims the glory of God, asking that God make his glory to shine upon the earth for the Lord to allow his name alone to be praised by creatures. The psalmist is saying, It doesn't matter what the nations say. Our God is in the heavens. Unlike your gods, our God can do all he pleases. That's one reason why our God is preeminently worthy of all praise and glory and adoration. God is all-powerful, while men and all creatures are limited in so many ways. For you and I to give glory to that which is finite is to then give glory to something that doesn't deserve it, that hasn't earned it. God will be glorified. His people will be vindicated, but not because of anything inherently good or worthy in us, in His people. No, God will bless His people, as the psalmist says in verse 1, for the sake of God's steadfast love. And God's faithfulness. Giving glory to us, giving glory to mankind, steals glory from God. But God is also cheated of glory when it's given to other creatures, as we see in the psalmist's condemnation of the idolater in the next few verses. So we've seen that God's glory must not be given to men, God's glory also must not be given to idols we see that in verses 4 through 8 not only can you and i not seek to take glory for ourselves or to give it to another person we also can't give it to false gods to idols the nations who mock god's people are in verses 4 through 8 in turn marked or mocked excuse me by the psalmist they would seek to mock israel by saying where is their god the psalmist turns that mocking around and mocks them because unlike the God that we serve, their idols are lifeless, soulless, and useless things. This mocking tone that the psalmist takes towards idols in verses 4 through 8 is one uh, that's not unique to this psalm or even to the Psalter. It's a common theme, especially as we look at Old Testament prophets we'll just look at one brief example of this mocking in the prophets from Isaiah chapter 44, starting in verse 13. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah writes here in verse 13, the carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Isaiah is saying that the same piece of wood out of which a man makes an idol to worship, he burns to bake bread and cook his meat and warm himself. What could this idol that's made out of wood possibly do for this man? The man crafted the idol based upon an image in his own imagination. That idol is utterly dependent upon the man for its very being. Without the man, the idol wouldn't exist. And yet the man thinks that praying to it will do something for him. That praying to this idol will help him in some way the irony, the sarcasm in what Isaiah is saying points to the fact that this is absurd. The only thing that will happen is that this man will take on the characteristics of the idol. That block of wood is blind and deaf and mute. So too will this man become. He will become senseless and unfeeling, stationary and stagnant, just like the idol that he has made. In time, the idolater then will be just as dead as that piece of wood out of which he carved his idol, just as lifeless as the object of his worship. This is what the psalmist says in verses 4 through 8. Look with me at verse 8 of Psalm 115. The psalmist writes, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Idolaters become like that which they worship. These idols they worship are dead, and should the idolaters continue in their false worship, they will end up dead, just like the idols they serve. There's a great irony in the psalmist's words here. These idols cannot do anything. They give nothing to the people who create them, and yet those people bow down in worship to these idols. It's so easy for us to look at these depictions of idolaters and chuckle, isn't it? Who would be so foolish to do such a thing? But the psalmist here and other places in Scripture turns that that mocking tone we might take and applies it to our hearts. Because if we properly understand these things, we know that you and I have idols in our lives as well. Calvin said that our hearts are idol factories. You and I are constantly churning out new things to worship. We have this worship impulse. We have to worship something. When one of our idols that we've created fails us, or when our preferences change, We simply remove the old idol and put something else in its place. But God's people must not worship idols, must not worship these dead things. No, we serve the one true and living God. You and I must be the very opposite of these idols. These idols are blind and deaf and mute. They're unfeeling. But God's people are not blind. We're called to see Christ by faith. We're called to hear His Word, to shout aloud His praises with our lips. We're called to love God and neighbor with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're called to use our hands and our feet in service to our great Savior. We worship a living God who makes us alive, not these dead idols that don't do anything. You and I, instead of being blind and unable to use our senses, we are instead commanded to taste and see that the Lord is good. We can only do this when we worship God as he must be worshiped. And when we do this, when we worship God as He must be worshipped, when we give glory to God alone, He will bless us. And that's what the psalmist says in the last part of this psalm, starting in verse 9. Though God's people were in some sort of trouble, as we saw in verse 2, the psalmist does not despair. Instead, he assures himself, and he assures you and me, in verse 12, that the Lord is has remembered us. He will bless us. Christian, take heart. Even when your enemies surround you, even when wicked people mock you and heap scorn upon you, God remembers you. And he promises to bless you. Even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of the pain and suffering of this world, Take heart and know that God has not abandoned you, that he will not forsake you, that he remembers you, that he promises to bless you. This is one of the many reasons that God alone deserves our praise and our worship, our glory and our adoration. God alone is worthy because he alone is the sovereign Lord over all the earth. The heavens the psalmist says, are the Lord's heavens. They belong to God alone. God, the psalmist says, is our help and our shield. All the house of Israel, all the house of Aaron, all those who fear the Lord, all God's people, past, present, and future, must trust in the Lord, and he will bless them. The blessing that God's people receive is a specific one. In verse 14, the psalmist repeats back to God the promises that he made to his covenant people all throughout Scripture, promises for increase and for children. He says, may the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Generational blessing will come upon all of those who have a proper view of worship, all of those who seek to give glory to God instead of stealing it from Him and giving it to themselves or to vain idols that they have made in their own image. We will glorify and bless God and He will bless His people. And yet even when blessed by God, we don't stop glorifying and praising Him, do we? Even when God has given us everything we could ask, for he's given us every spiritual blessing we could possibly hope to have in Christ Jesus our Lord, even then we don't stop praising him. That's why Psalm 115 ends where it begins, in praise to God. Glory and praise belong to him alone, and you and I cannot give it to anyone else. Praise the Lord. Dear, when the principle is clear all throughout Scripture, humans are made for worship, and we all worship something. Not only that, but humans become like what they worship. It's clear from Psalm 115 and many other places that worshipers become like that which they worship. Whatever they give glory to is that which they become. The idolaters whom the psalmist speaks against here will become like their false gods. Those idols have we've seen as we've seen do nothing, and emphatically are nothing. The idols are nothing. They are not real. Therefore, those who worship them will become nothing. They will be physically and spiritually dead just like these idols. Since that principle that idol worshipers become like that which they worship still stands, you and I must diligently and ruthlessly kill any idols in our lives. We must put to death anything and everything that we would worship in place of our great God. Dear ones, you become like what you worship. Therefore, worship Christ alone. Theologians have said that protology informs eschatology. That is, that that first things in theology help us to understand last things. And so, in order to understand what the world will be like when Christ comes to make all things new, we look to the book of Revelation, yes, but we also look to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God made Adam and Eve in the image and likeness of God. Adam and Eve were perfect and without sin. All those of us who come after them likewise bear the image of God. Sin has not erased that image, but it has defaced it so that you and I need to be remade. You and I need to become new creations, reformed by God in the image of God, our Savior. And this is the great goal of the Christian life, and it's one that won't be completed until we are in our glorified state, until our sin is completely taken away and we see our precious Savior face to face. And this is the high calling to which God's people are called, Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is the great aim of the Christian life. Even that name, Christian, shows us this. We are all to be little Christs, following after our elder brother, walking in the path that Christ has set for us, listening to Christ's voice alone, worshiping God alone through Christ alone, becoming more and more like Christ by God's grace every day. Dear ones, our Heavenly Father did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us and for our salvation. In Christ, all the wondrous and untold blessings of God are ours, Christ shed his blood and died for the ungodly so that all who believe in him by grace through faith will receive the immeasurable blessings of God. Chief among them, Christ himself. Dear one, Christ has given himself for you. What he asks in return is that you give everything to him. So who will you worship? Who Will you worship? Psalm 115 tells us that we must worship God alone in and through Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not seek glory for yourself. Don't give glory to your fellow man or to lifeless idols. Instead, give glory to the living God alone. Cry out in praise and hallelujah, saying, Christ is king, and all glory must be to Christ our King. Let us pray. Our great God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ our Savior. We pray, O God, that we would be made more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. It's true that we become like that which we worship, and so we pray that we would worship Christ alone so that we would become like Christ. That is the cry of our hearts, O Lord. Would you give it to us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, dear ones, let's now stand and sing our psalm of response, Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, number 115A.